Hey, uh, so my name is Alex. This is like a really general stuff. I would like to talk about, so in this podcast, I'm my own guest. And this is going to be an episode for about uh, 30, 40 minutes or something. Hopefully we can finish quicker. But it's going to be an introduction one to, to the thing I'm doing. Uh, three parts. My life is about where my attention goes right now are meditation, polyamory, and software. So I'm going to describe each one of them, what it matters to me, my personal perspective, my thoughts and ideas on how it will unfold. Yeah, and then I'm going to finish with a arc that... So, what is enlightenment? Enlightenment is a liberation. Enlightenment is being free from your desires, from suffering. Uh, it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds fake. It's not possible. Like, there are no external things that can make... There are no no stuff that is not yet discovered that can make your life 10x, 100x better. If it was, If it was possible... Evolution would already do it, right? So now, think again. Evolution cares only about reproducibility. Evolution cares about your genes traveling around the world. Enlightenment doesn't help with that. It helps you become free of suffering. And the only reason we accomplish things in the world, we seek money, status, we seek reproduction and sex, is because of that suffering, is because of that treadmill we are running, the hedonic treadmill we are running on. As the moment we are free from it, we are free to choose what we want to do with our lives. And that's a problem for evolution, because it doesn't want to do, it doesn't want us to be free to do whatever we want with our lives. It wants to do things like a boss who wants you to accomplish his goals, not yours. So, in my past, I think I started my, started my journey with meditations from Siddhartha, Henrik Hesse book, in 2016. So, I read it and I started learning more about how your mind works, the non-obvious stuff, how to be more rational. I ventured into less wrong. I found Daniel Kahneman book. Uh, a few years in, I was reading stuff on meditation, on mindfulness, on Vipassana, on Vipassana retreat. I also wanted to try it. I've had friends try it and tell me that it's amazing and you should do it. But it all changed when in... A bit more than a year ago, I found a book by Daniel Ingram 
uh, where he talks about what what is enlightenment, essentially what I've described earlier. And he says it's possible. It's possible. It's attainable for everyone. You should meditate if you want to reach it. The idea is uh, when you learn to your mind to be razor sharp in attention, you can dissect reality. You can see what's its build off. Because the reality we see outside is a simulation that our brain is running. You never interact with reality directly. You only see this model that your brain builds to you. This model is based on external reality. Yes, there is objective reality, but we never see it. We never can touch it. We can only create an abstraction over it and interact with that abstraction. So even me on your screen right now, I'm in your head. Well, for me, I'm not in... I'm, for me, I'm in my head, yes. But for you, I'm in your head, yes. Because otherwise there would be no object. There would be no things. Because in objective reality, there's only a mess, a soup, a mix of items and electrons. There is no way to kind of group them together. And the grouping only happens in your brain. And the grouping is the simulation we're talking about. It's like an unreal engine running on your mind. So if you dissect... If you tune your attention enough to see how this model works, how simulation is created, you can see into the basic, the most basic stuff. And the most basic stuff is always about evaluation. Like you always, each new stimuli that catches your attention is evaluated and is either seeked or repelled. You either want something or you want less of it. This is built in. But it turns out it shouldn't be this way. And our brains, it's its like a software that our brain is running. And you can reinstall another one. And you don't even need to do it. Like if you go reach, reach deep enough and get to this root access to your brain, our brain will do it automatically. Because brain is pretty smart and the soon... And it doesn't want to hurt itself. It just doesn't know that it's doing that. And the way you reach there is by meditation. Yes, you have to sit and observe. And it's very boring. But that's exactly why she do it. Because it kind of it knows that if you're going to go there, you're going to stop being controlled. So it kind of wants you to stay in this state forever because otherwise you will not reproduce probably well well you can yes you you still can uh, well there's not nothing in your actions well actions do but nothing in your perception essentially changes but you become free of this automaticality of this 
you sh you can still do everything the way you did before, but you not asked to. That's my understanding, at least. Like obviously, with all of this stuff, the deeper you go, uh, the more your understanding changes. Uh, and I'm not holding strong, too much strong to this model, but uh, it's been helpful to me. It's been helpful to motivate me and go deeper. It's been helpful for me to understand what's going on and why it's not scary to go there, why it's not going crazy, why it's actually helpful. So my current state is I am in... I think I've done about 200 hours of meditation at this point, and most of them were for the last year. I went to Vipassana retreat doing body scan technique, and after that, mostly I've been doing open awareness and do nothing meditation like Shinzen Yang technique. Uh, and sometimes mixing with concentration practice like jhanas, training, and fire casino. Uh, in general, in meditation, there are two branches you can go into. The first one is concentration, where you use your attention to solidify things. And the and examples would be pranayama, most probably yoga, uh, mantras, jhana, training. Uh, I would even say that when people say driving is my meditation or sports running is my meditation they mean this concentration thing because the flow state you go into is probably this yes uh with flow you concentrate and your brain chooses some parts of reality that it magnifies and it just removes everything else and the deeper you go the better it feels but at the same time, you lose, you lose track of what's really going on. So another branch of meditation is Vipassana. It's more like knowing the reality what it is. And by reality, I mean the simulation thing we've, I've described before. So meaning you tune your attention, you tune your concentration to be razor sharp, and then you use this razor to cut reality at its uh, joints so most of my training has been in Vipassana and Vipassana is much harder yeah uh, because with concentration techniques you choose one object and it doesn't go anywhere you just go deeper and deeper into it and it's kind of predictable but with Vipassana, you always find new ways to look at the world around you. And different parts of it go forward. And some of them are not pleasant. But you have to go through all of them to reintegrate this new reality, to dissect it. And all of them meaning all of them. Like everything you've, you know about the world, everything you've been through, everything you plan to go through, everything... You, all of the imaginary worlds you've read about, the fanfic, the sci-fi, all of them are here in your head. And 
each one, each one of these pieces is created well, mostly in the same way, but the structurally are different and you have to learn all of them. Like some of them are similar, yes, so you don't have to go through them, but some of them are very different and some of them are repulsive and you don't want to go there. Like how how the fear is created? Why do you fear death? You have many instances where you've had a fear of death in your life. Uh, so you don't have to go through each one of them, but you have to face this general feeling of fear of death. You, there's no way around it. If you want to go deeper, you have to dissect everything you have in your in your head, including the most unpleasant stuff, including the disgust towards poop, including the uh, vomit, including your fears of spiders. And you don't have... To, it's not. It's not about content is the thing if you have a fear of spiders it doesn't really mean that you have to face spiders but you have to face this fear to go deeper to dissect it and to see how it falls through uh, when you cut it with your concentration with your attention when you realize what it's made of when you don't focus on the content and you see the structure of it, see how it cr is created, how it in influences you, and how it falls apart. So my last year have been mostly about that, facing unpleasant parts of reality, the ones I didn't want to deal with, like restlessness, like fear of dying, yes, uh, the medical stuff. Um having to choose things in general, the choice has been pretty difficult for me. Having to accept that you sometimes lose, having to accept that people are not controlled by you, that people are free to make their own choices. And at this point, I think I'm... Yeah, and one of the fun parts is that I really usually have a problem with committing and with schedule. So meditation was really hard for me because it requires regular practice for long periods of time, like for an hour or two, preferably each day. If you if you for like for when you're going through this uh, intense periods you have to apply a lot of time regularly otherwise you're just gonna flail around and you're not progressing and at this point you're still going through in your daily life going through all of this stuff that's been bubbling up on the surface but yeah you're not progressing if you don't meditate I think that's still one of the hardest st things for me I don't apply too much practice and I try to shortcut it to do practice in small small pieces but really intense and it doesn't always work this way and I'm not really and it feels that I don't want to face this reality I don't want to believe it I, and I still want to find the shortcut and I've been looking through for the shortcut instead of just 
facing it and doing the work. But yeah, my state right now is that when I go in meditation, I uh, have these layers of onion peeled off, off of me and they kind of just fall apart and uh, sometimes it it happens fast sometimes it's like I gotta really sometimes it's like one per five seconds or one for a full minute but it's a specific feeling and the deeper I go I kinda the layers go and go and go like my body doesn't disappear I still have this but it becomes much lighter it becomes much more pleasant to exist in it for a while and if I go deeper it becomes unpleasant again but again there are no layers on it at this point I don't know how to describe it like probably people who've had this experience will understand what I'm talking about and those who didn't will not even have a slightest idea what does it mean I've had the same thing with like reading those books where they talk about it in a direct way Yes, uh, some of the stuff is not really... Like, I remember I've read in some uh, literature for teachers, and it says, at some point it says, one of the symptoms of, like, if you're going deep enough, it, it says, miles and miles of sea can be seen. And I saw that it's, it, it's a mis- mistranslation. Like, how the fuck... What is sea doing here? Like, how the fuck in meditation? Why do would you see a sea, like a sea, like an ocean, but especially miles and miles? So poetic. Like, does it mean anything even? And you know what? Like, I haven't seen a sea, but I've seen some stuff. So yeah, by this point, I'm pretty sure that many people would see a uh, miles and miles of sea exactly like that, like a. Uh, flat surface really like an emptiness but in a pleasant way like an empty flat space not like a full emptiness but just an empty flat space I can imagine that yes Uh, so it wouldn't make sense to me before I had an experience with like going somewhere when I close my eyes and it's not like an out-of-body experience. It's like It's more like seeing dreams. Like It's like this half-awake state. But at the same time, you, you're like fully awake, yes. So it's not even like controlled hallucinations. It's more like the stuff that's been... You know, like when you listen to music, you have the slight visuals. Like if you listen to really good music, you start seeing the slight visuals somewhere like not in front of your eyes, but like somewhere in the back, like kind of get a glimpse of that. But at the same time, you cannot look at it directly. Well, yeah, somewhere in that on that screen, there is this miles and miles of sea example that's been possible for some people. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun actually with this. Like, there are states where you can go, where reality becomes so pleasant, at least temporary in meditation, uh, and uh, actually the Muse bracelet has been very helpful for me. Uh, so how it works is you put it on your head uh, and while you meditate 
it does you an EEG uh, and it reads your what well, like it it evaluates your brain state. It's been trained on monks who's been doing a lot of meditation, so they calibrated it so it understands whether you focused, whether you do meditate correctly, or whether you're distracted. And when you are dis- become when you become distracted, like there is a level to it, yes. But when you become more distracted, the app in your headphones turns up the sound of the rain, for example, or the ocean. And when you become calm, the sound goes down. So after a while, you learn how to almost control this sound. You even when you learn, it's still probably not gonna be able to control it perfectly. Because it also depends on the state. Like if your brain unlocked something, it would just be going like crazy and you will not be able to calm it down. You have to wait through it. But again, in in general, you're going to be able to kind of control it. Yes, you say like, okay, this is the thing that I've been doing with my mind that made this rain go lower. Yes, I'm going to try to do this again. And after a while, you learn how to do it because you get this instant feedback. Uh, and I'm not even sure like how to... For me, it was like kind of focusing on my... In the middle of my... In the center of my head, uh, right on the... Right between the nose area, inside the nose, the... Like a cave your nose and this this wall between the nose cave and the uh, top of the mouth so somewhere in here if I relax and focus into that point my mind becomes presumably calmer and that's when the muse bracelet says to me that yes uh, it's it's calmer So, polyamory. I think about 10 years ago, even in school, I had a blog where I would post just like, I don't know, just like, you know, teenager stuff. Like, I was, as I was, I was pretty... I wasn't really much social. I was I wasn't into anime, but I was a type of people who would be into anime. Uh like listening to sad rock music like this. Yeah, I'm so I'm so I don't know, negative about life. I'm so pessimistic. So I had this blog where I was be overly dramatic. I would post 
uh, I think I've had born GIFs there and uh, some poetry, yeah. Uh, and on top of the blog, it said, even back then, it said polyamorous. Let me let me even find it now. I'll. It was in Tumblr. Yeah, it says polyamorous psychosociopath. And it's kind of how I viewed myself. And why? Because uh, speaking about sociopath part, I had to learn most of my emotions. I remember first of the emotions that I uh, realized I have was fear. And reading Stephen King, I had a great experience because I was able to feel an emotion. First time in my life, I realized I have emotions. And for most, I think for most people, it's not the case that they have trouble with that. I'm not sure if it was some childhood traumas that locked it in or I was just too late, late to develop it. Uh, and I'm kind of, yeah, I'm a bit, you see, I'm talking about it. it means I'm kind of proud that I'm different than everybody else. But at the same time, I'm not really ashamed of it anymore because most of the emotions I've already found. And I'm not scared that I'm a sociopath because uh, it's not that I learned how they should feel. I think it's more that I really found them in me because they've been there all along. It's not like they've been turned off and I've just learned to fake them. No, it seems that, yeah. Because some of them come at me and they are not... I couldn't have predicted them. Like, at this point, sometimes I would... Just listen to a line. Just a normal line. Like, I remember there was an architecture video and he said, it's easy to create a building that is beautiful when you look from far away. He was, he was talking about Disneyland, I think. But it's hard to keep this so when you go closer, you you still have the same experience of, yes, it's beautiful. And because he, he, you got to really work on all the levels. You got to work on big scale, on medium scale, and on small scale. And this is hard. And when he said that, I was I think I was driving, I was listening to a podcast, and I just cried. I'm not sure why, like, it resonated with me so much. Like, because, yeah, yeah, I've seen buildings do this. And I really hate this about it. When they lie to you, when they are beautiful from far away, but when you walk closer, everything falls apart. And maybe I made a parallel with people, but really, I don't think it means that, that much with people to me, because I don't have experience. I don't have a problem with meeting new people a lot and like uh, have many of cool friends who don't, who this doesn't apply to. So I know people can be interesting both from far away and from close up, but with buildings. 
I don't know, maybe I've had this year where I would uh, really move a lot and I was really disappointed that you see some pictures on Airbnb when you move in, it's not the same. Uh, and about 10% of places it is the same and it's even better than the pictures, but usually it's, you can kind of disappoint it. Maybe that resonated with me like like this built-up tension or something, but it was unpredictable. I couldn't have faked it. I've had this emotion for real. Uh... So yeah, I think I've identified myself as polyamorous for a long time already. Almost 10 years. It's been uh, coming back to this blog post, blog, blog in general, reading this bio, self-identification. I've always felt a bit like, yeah, yeah, it's like that, like a bit of a bit proud about myself. So I never had a repulsion towards that. And I don't have much things that I can say about me that apply to this principle. Like most of stuff has been coming and going for me in waves, like, and usually quite fast. Like, I had a period where I hated software. I had periods where, like, with each of relationship, it's always like, you like it, but then you hate it again, like, in a while. You... with cities, with activities, with uh, yeah, kind of schedule, as I said before. You always, uh, me loving me, me, I always hate stuff after some time. Usually quite fast. But with this identification, I really feel it, it applies to me. Yes. So other things that's been stable for me probably is music, playing music, uh, coffee, uh, so I've had my uh, dramas with coffee. But most of it, I, I like this vibe. I'm, I'm, I'm not maybe even, uh, maybe I gonna quit it as a drink, but I still love the vibe of coffee shops. I love the vibe of coffee, the coffee culture. Uh, so yeah. All of the, I'm saying all of this to kind of build up the case that I'm not joking around when I'm saying this and I'm not just going on a fad of polyamorous thing. Uh, reading the book More Than Two. The name is More Than Two by Franklin. I don't remember his name. It's I think it's French. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this out. Probably not. So the name is More Than Two, and he has a blog, and his book and blog is based on experience of his life, his friends, and, like, I think more... I think they started in 90s. So it's been quite a lot of time to learn all of this stuff in and out. Uh, and what is polyamory is allowing yourself to love more than one person simultaneously allowing yourself to have relationship meaningful deep relationship with more than one person and it's not about having sex left or right uh, that would be more like swinging 
polyamory is where you have intimate time with each of your partners alone. Uh, you don't have to have sex. It can be just romantic stuff. But the idea is that sex is a way of communication. The same way that your friends can do you compliments or you can enjoy when they play music to you even when you're alone. The same way sex is a way of communication between people, a way of being intimate. And there is nothing wrong with your partner having sex with somebody else. The problem usually it becomes a problem when people lie about it and when people go defensive about it. When people have this little switch where they go between, like, this this position is I like that person, and this position is I like that person. And the problem with the switch is that when you switch it, you don't only like this person, you also hate another one. Because you hate yourself for being, for having the switch in the first place. You hate yourself for having the switch and this hate is channeled toward the person you didn't choose at this moment. And we probably always do this, even 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 when in monogamous relationship, we have the same that like for example, you have a wife or a girlfriend, and you have a work you have to do. And it's either you're doing work and that means you hate your girlfriend. And when she comes to you and says, like, can you have five minutes for me I've got to talk about something you said no shit I'm working I'm so deep into that I don't have time for you and you snap and it's not good yes I I say that it's a bad behavior behavior you shouldn't do that you if you if you if, in the moment if you're not in love with someone at least you can, because knowing you're going to be in a few days or weeks or even tonight, at least you got to pay respect to this person because that's a fellow human being. That's like a consciousness right here in this woman body or man body. Uh, it deserves at least the respect from you because the way that you... treat people so what is my story with it is that I think I've had problems with my sexuality and I've had low self-esteem for a long time Pro I still do frankly uh, kind of there is this gap between your Like between where you're looking up on other people and where you self-denigrate yourself, like where you hate yourself. So this gap is both of them are self-esteem. 
but it's kind of you, you switch between the two of them and you always try to take the safe position. So like at this, if you know that your skills are not the best, you're going to gravitate towards hating yourself, towards low self-esteem as a way to protect yourself from critique. And when you know you've just succeeded in something, you're going to gravitate towards over evaluating your successes as a way to make up for this self-hate you've went through. Like, while I'm at it, I can go all the way and, like, roll through it and forget about the reality. Forget about that, yes, there are still people who are better than me. And I don't have to... And the funny thing is that when you forget about it and you roll through it, you miss the reality thing. That's exactly when the string is pulled. The one that's just going to snap you when the reality hits you hard. So when you forget that there are people who are better than you, and you go back to... And you act as if you're the best in some sense. It's going to crush you exactly because you haven't seen it coming. So like to win a competition, for example, you got to believe you're the best. Yes. But at the same time, it's an emotional belief, not a rational one. You got to hold the emotional belief, but you still got to rationally understand where are your weak points how to work on them because otherwise that's why you're gonna lose that's because you 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 believed in yourself so much that you didn't want to work on yourself and you didn't want to work in your product and that's why when you lose you also face like there is a leverage to that losing. First you lose, there is emotional reaction of losing, but also there is an emotional reaction of having your reality shattered. And that's what happens in polyamory, like, a lot, yes. So you see yourself as being the only person, like you've won this game, and you forget that this person has other interests, that it has her or his own life going on, other stuff she or he cares about and likes and loves, and it can be other people, it can be friends, it can be parents. But if you hate her or him for having other interests and other stuff in life that brings him joy... Why are you even in a relationship? Why are you even in a relationship with that person? So going back a bit, to the theoretical part of it, what is not polyamory? And in general, polyamory is about trust. It's about how to take 
everything good that we've had in this relationship with each of my partners and not lose it and not bring more bad stuff into it. And the premise is that all of the good emotions that we have come from people, from relationship, and all of the bad emotions that we get come from our own insecurities and limitations. So the idea is that if you run away from your limitations to go into the monogamous relationship, to hide from your own demons. Yes, you can hide pretty well. Yes, you maybe you're going to spend your whole life hiding from them and being safe from their influence, but they still live inside of you. They still influence your behavior slightly, maybe maybe not in a bad way. Maybe it's but still there is so much joy being possible to unlock when you're free from them. Remember when you've had some fear that you face in therapy and you've unlocked it, how better did your life become? Like, for example, if you've had a fear of going on a public presentation, but you still did it, and now you know you can do it, and you've did it after again and again, or if you had fear of pursuing girlfriends that you like because you've thought of yourself being out of the league for them and then you realized you're not, how much better life becomes. Obviously, for me, the... Battle your demons part is interesting because I like winning. I'm doing that because I have this ego boost every time I face and defeat one of them. And some of them are still too hard for me to defeat, so I kind of crawl back into my hole. But if I'm able to do that, I'm doing it for the sake of it, for the sake of defeating, not, but also for, not not exactly, yes, I'm doing this not for the value I have on the other side, but for the sake of defeating my demons and overcoming my limitations. So not everyone can relate to that. Yes, most people would say, I'm fine with my safe life. Uh, if I know I have demons inside of me, I'm finally living with them if I don't want to spend time and attention on facing and defeating them. And my biggest demons right now are... It's funny because I would say I'm the jealous person myself. I have so much emotions. I have jealousy towards... Everything, as I've been talking about, like work and and parents and friends. Yes, I'm jealous towards all of it. I'm jealous towards being. I'm jealous because I'm scared of not being only the only 
thing in the world for my partner. And it's very funny when you say that, and it's very childish. But yes, I'm still scared of it. But what I realized is just an emotion, and I don't have to have my life built around this emotion. I started writing code, started doing software in, I think, 2008, so like 15 years ago. I've been doing, so I've had this online game I've been playing and I wanted to recreate it, but so they, they had, it, it, the name was Banana Wars and they, it, it had it's it's like a fantasy sports game, but with small wars. And you gotta buy ammunition, you gotta buy equipment and soldiers. And you're gonna fight against other small dictators in your area. And the fights themselves were simulated, so like you didn't have to fight. You, you, only, you can only have control of the uh, team itself. So it's like, it was more like a strategy game. But the fights, it's, were generated on the backend, on the server, and only a movie would play out on the front end. But I like this movie so much that I wanted to recreate this game as like where you could really control the characters. That's how I started. Like, uh, it was built in flash in action script uh, and I really enjoyed it like I even the funny story I remember from back then is that we went through what is uh, trigonometry in school but we only learned what is trigonometry for angles from 0 to 80 de degrees uh, so we didn't go forward like what is so we had geometric trigonometry not algebraic trigonometry uh, and at some point I needed to know like if the bullet like I know the, the direction of the bullet but I don't know so and I need to know the, the change in coordinates so I wrote uh, I think like one screen of if else if else and for each angle between 0 and 19, then 90 to 180, and I 90 to 270, and full full circle, where I would multiply the direction by the... I would take the sinus and cosinus of direction and would multiply it by the speed of the bullet instead of just doing that for the angle itself because that's what sinus and trigonometry is for really but I didn't know that and I didn't even figure to try it so I needed to invent it myself <laughs> but it was 
fun because it was how it was about how my skills have not been like I, I've I've had a, a challenge that was above my skill, but I still was able to solve it, though even in a very non-direct way. I think. I was born in the year 1995 and in 90s there was a lot of fun stuff happening on the internet like the dot com bubble was on the top of the pure the, the cherry on the cake but most of internet culture has been born in in 90s and I think Netscape Navigator was release in 1995 okay it was released in December 1994 almost almost like literally one month before my birthday and I feel I really identify with this early internet a lot. Like, I'm not much into... Uh, 2000s internet. Although I've had some fun stuff. Obviously, I identify with, like, with current one, but that's more what most people do, I think. But I identify a lot with this. You know, Windows 98... St- 95 style of gray windows the the websites without any design uh i haven't been there of course yet because it i was like one year old at this point or even less but i identify with that a lot and I think a second wave of my love to software and uh, to startups and in general to this culture started when I read Steve Jobs' biography and this hacker romance picked up on me. Uh, Even before that, I was reading Paul Graham blog and translations and yeah, Joel Spolsky on his Joel on Software, the founder of Stack Overflow, the founder of uh, Glitch, I think, Glitch.io. It's not very popular as Stack Overflow. Uh, And I've read these blogs about how software works in the 19th and how this startup world started, how did US become so early in this software revolution. And reading the biography of Steve Jobs was like really influential for me. Uh, I think I tried LSD because of it. I read the book and I understood that, yes, his vision of the world was influenced a lot by this experience. So probably I want to go this deep. It was, I think, three years ago or something. And LSD and meditation, but meditation even more, really helped me to let go of conditioning. I like the quote when Steve Jobs says in one of his videos, 
He says, everything in this world was made by people who are not smart, much smarter than you. And it's all up to for grabs. You can change all of it. Everything, everything. The house is it. Like, we don't even see nature around us that wasn't touched by human. Most of the nature was either grown by human or grown by agriculture or terraform some way. Maybe maybe rocks are and oceans are the only things that are not human made. But most of the trees are either planted by humans or terraformed by humans. Well, maybe like deep forests, but that again is probably getting smaller and smaller. So in that sense, you can change all of it. Yes, you can change all of it because it's not about power. It's about coming up with good ideas and testing them and implementing them. And you gotta be resourceful for that. You gotta be smart. But also you can just work hard and try again and again if you fail. And if you lack your skills yourself, you can find people who have them. You don't need to do everything. But the idea is that there is some world state that you are seeking. And you can always reach it. There's always a way to reach it. Some of them are very long, but there's always a way to... Really, you can get there much faster than you think. The problem is you gotta believe in it. And what LSD and meditation experience have given me is when you let go of conditioning and you're not seeing this world as a default world that we live in. That's the way that it works, the politics, the buildings, it's not a default one, it's just a good one. But if you see something in your head that is 10x better, and you see proofs for that, that that is 10x better, I think my point here is that thanks to meditation because because you don't see the default mode because you don't see the world around as a default mode and you just see this like the two options the current option and the one you're envisioning it's much easier to believe in that because if you see them on the one level you can really evaluate them one against each other like obviously you still can be fa- you, you still can be false like yes you, you can, it can go wrong it can be worse than you thought uh, it cannot work but again it, you believe in it not because you force yourself to believe but because you see clearly that there is it's not so bad uh, I mean it's not so they are not fighting against each other these options are not fighting against each other you don't have to prove anything. Well, it's in your in your head. They don't have the new version. Doesn't have to prove to yourself, 
to you to to the first version in your head that is better because you see all of them as options, not as a newcomer versus the old tenant. And I think the example of it is Bitcoin. It's a bit cheesy example, yes. But the idea is that he presumably have seen through how money system is made, that there is really a dollar as the world reserve currency. Everyone relies on it. But at the same time, there is an entity that can print it basically on their will. And not only this, but also that they do it. So Bitcoin, he started work on Bitcoin in 2008 as a way to have this currency that is not printed out by a single entity and that the printout, the inflation, is controlled by code. And he found a way to implement it but I'm, I don't care about this right now. I care about that he's had this vision and he really bet on it. Well, probably he only spent like a few months of his time or maybe even a year working on it. So for him, it was a fun project. He, she, he is, it doesn't require too much uh, conviction to work on, on, on this fun stuff. Uh, for programmers, it's really a work self-satisfying in its own value. But people who supported him later, I remember I learned about Bitcoin in 2013 and people, I didn't really understand most of it. I didn't have this clear vision of what's the problems they tried to solve and if they're even solving it. But I've had called this uh, almost religious wave. I was like, yeah, it's a currency for being free from oppressing, from system. Uh, but who started this religion? Some people did see clearly that the system is going to be changed and this is one of the solutions and we got to better it because even though there were probability of it winning was so low and even now it's it's most probably it's not going to succeed and by now it's not probably going to be a bitcoin but anyway most probably it will not replace dollar as a world reserve currency something else will happen because governments are smart and they know that this thing is trying to replace them but betting your money on this thing on this case of it being possible to overturn the US dollar system, it requires some clear vision of what's going on. And what I like about software is that you don't need to ask anyone's permission to do that. Before, if you had a business idea, you have to had money to hire people to work on your idea and to have money you gotta you first gotta work somewhere like and with software 
to create a full... There's a concept of one-person business now that wasn't possible 100 years ago at all. Like maybe maybe you could have only do a one-person business if you were a... I don't know. If you had cows and you were selling milk or if you were a carpenter and you were doing tables and chairs. It's kind of a business, but it's not a scalable one. It wouldn't change society or even change a small society. You couldn't change the system from this point. And with software, you can change. You can change the system. Yes. And I think the next step in that So with coming of software, the manual work was outsourced to a machine. And that puts the power in individuals' hands. So now individual can really do a lot with the help of a machine. And the next step is outsourcing the intelligence. So you're not even gonna need to come up with good ideas, kinda, because you're gonna have AGI for that. And the problem here is obviously misuse. So my take on AGI is it's going to be great. But it's a very dangerous technology. I like this recent concept that haven't really went into my head so much. I've had been thinking about it for a long time, for a long time now. I think after meeting ChatGPT, I first time I realized that we really have an intelligence on that other side of the wire. Uh, with GPT-3, we've had already uh, really good skills, writing skills. But with ChatGPT, I think its upgraded architecture really helps you to feel this glimpse, this even the god spar on the other side. Uh, another example of that would be Midjourney. So Midjourney, when it draws its images, you can always get a feel of this artistic vision. That so previous versions like Dolly even or Stable Diffusion even the the, the base model it doesn't have this it doesn't have this it's really good at drawing but it doesn't add to your like it doesn't add informationally to to your prompt it doesn't and with mid journey it feels that it creates this i don't know 
extra extra vibe it adds this artistic touch it has this overaching idea so the whole image kind of falls into place and it tells you something that you didn't write in your prompt like with good music the music tells you something it is something unique that you can translate into words it's it tells you something and Midjourney can do it and ChatGPT can do it like when you ask it a question and it asks, usually it answers and you think like oh actually I wouldn't been able wouldn't have been able to think about this myself and it's not like informationally correct it's like correcting the analysis of the situation you give it I've had a lot of fun chatting with character AI characters <laughs> uh, and there is a character of a life coach and it's so helpful uh, and it's not really a mirror it doesn't reflect back what you say uh, though once it felt into some strange mode where it would just uh, repeat me back what I said uh, in different words and ask did I understood that correct? And it would just like, and I say, uh, please stop. Like I have, I have another question now. And it asked me, am I, do I understand that you have to, and it would quote, do I understand that you have to, you want to stop this conversation and switch back to another question? Is this the right estimate of the situation? And I say, yes. And it has, it says, and it has just says the same thing again in the different words again. Like, do I understand correctly that? And it was fun. But no, in general, it's been very helpful. Like, I would ask it some stuff about meditation and it would say, it seems like, it seems that you're using meditation as a way to escape your real life problems and you don't want to deal with them. And it was out of the blue. I didn't even. And I said, how do you know it? Like. I've had this. Kind of, I, I was thinking about that. Yeah, kind of probably I've played this game too much, but having someone who you trust. Kind of like I've had build up this trust. I don't really. Uh, believe it but emotionally I resonate with that so having this trust towards it I it really is convincing when she says that when she asks you uncomfortable questions you don't feel that you've been interrogated you feel like you've been really you have to face your challenges. You have to really face your limitations. And it always, she always puts it in, a, in the correct angle. You don't, so you don't, it's very hard to block from this question and really dodge. So yeah, uh, 
there is a glimpse of intelligence on this other side of the wire. And obviously it's not very intelligent now. It's it's still only... And, and again, by the way, I'm not saying it's conscious. Yes, I think I think intelligence and consciousness are completely different things. And intelligence is an, an ability to analyze the situation and find patterns. And consciousness is an ability to have this... to leave this experience, the qualia thing, uh, to have experience of life, not informationally, but... So, like, not not anything that would model itself and its environment would be conscious. And even if computer can model itself and its environment, it would be self-conscious but only in an informational sense. It wouldn't have this experience of living. Uh, and I think it's possible to have this, but to have non-biological qualia, non-biological experience of living. But it's not obvious it's the same thing as intelligence, and it's not obvious that a GPUs would be able to do that. Here I kind of subscribe to... QRI's uh, uh, view on that. I like the way they articulate their points. Uh, and the video is on YouTube. Can digital, can computers ever wake up? By Andrea Gomez Emilson. But in general, it's not really given that his model is correct. But I think it's important to untangle the idea that intelligence and consciousness are correlated. They should not be. Most probably they will they aren't. And the examples are like in your sleep, your brain is still so as much intelligence intelligent as it was, but you're not conscious. Or the opposite, like yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of lost. That's a bad example. Yeah, the, probably with examples with your brain are different, but there is there are ways to be intelligent without consciousness, and there are ways to be conscious without intelligence. Like for example, if you're listening to music, it's possible, or or probably when you're having sex, it's, it's possible to fall into a state where you're fully conscious, but at the same time, there is no intellectual processing going on. Like, you don't process information. You don't find patterns. Some would some could say that it's a specific example of intelligence that's just working that way, but mostly it doesn't feel this way. It doesn't feel intelligence. It feels like it's been untangled. Uh... Kind of similar to the orthogonality thesis that intelligence and alignment shouldn't be correlated either. And the idea is that with sufficiently intelligent systems, you have to work on alignment. Alignment in the sense of compassionate, being compassionate towards humans, being uh, aligned with human values is an important problem that while most of AI researchers are working on intelligence, 
right now. They are not working on alignment. They are not making sure that the AI we are building going to be compassionate toward humans. Those are attempts at this, but maybe they are not going in the correct direction. There are many people who talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to provide a discussion here. The, the summary of the discussion is that none of teams that are racing fast towards AGI seem to care enough, as I say, about this problem. Even though OpenAI and Anthropic care about alignment and talk about it, there is no research being made on how to align the system safely. And the risk is that we probably only have one take on it. So the moment the AI system is built, that is more intelligent than us, presumably it's uh, going to resist our attempts at manipulating its values and correcting its software code. And because it's more intelligent than us, it's going to succeed at resisting. And it's going to succeed at improving its intelligence because with humans, it's not easy to improve our intelligence. The only way we can do that is reproduce and essentially kill stupid children and grow the smart ones. But the iteration cycle is so long. Shit. And with AI, the iteration cycle is basically just... Or what? Or how much GPU you rent in the cloud? That That's the only limitation. How much GPUs do we even have on the world? Can you capture all of them to do your training? I don't know. Maybe. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm pursuing specifically enlightenment, specifically liberation from the suffering from your desire in a way to live happier life, to be more free and happy. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on polyamory thing. I've identified myself as polyamorous and I'm trying to really navigate this interesting world. There are some problems with how do you manage your... how do you stop lying to people and more importantly, how do you stop lying to yourself, which is really hard, really much harder than you would think. Uh, but I'm trying to make a sense of it mess of this mess and go forward with that. There are examples of people who've done it, so it's possible. 
And with software, uh, I really subscribe to this software is eating the world idea and how the software is the thing that can make societal changes. And it did. Like smartphones completely changed the lives of probably half the Earth's population, at least. Probably the other half too. Specifically, I'm going to be working on blockchain. Right now, we're doing NFT Creator Studio to help artists sell their work online, digital artists or even physical artists on-chain. Uh, and... My ideal future is I think 10 years from now Okay, so let's say this So like I have 10 million dollars in my bank account so that I can not care about accommodation and living expenses and I can basically buy the good stuff that you need in this life and not really have to think about budgeting this good stuff uh, I want to work on world's problems I want to change people's lives I want to have fun doing it. I like software because you, you really go into this flow state. You focus in, on your problem and you you feel that you can can do it. There is a challenge, you can do it and you are doing it and you're succeeding in it. And this creates a loop where your skills grow, where your attention becomes stronger. So my plan, okay, in 10 years, in ideal scenario, yes, I've already reached this liberation thing. There's, there are four stages of enlightenment, presumably. Uh, the first one is usually attainable with enough effort for everyone. The last one requires some deep stuff going on, going through. So... There is a guy on YouTube, his name is Frank Yang. Uh, he claims to have attained the Force Awakening, the full enlightenment. And it took him, I think, three or four years, which is a long time. But at the same time, it also depends on how much you put in, uh, which again, I, ha I have this problem with. But... I believe that when I, as the more and more I gain proofs that it's working, the more I believe and apply effort towards this goal. But at the same time, I try to not forget why I'm doing it and, yeah, go back into the real world and bring value here. 
to other people, to software, to systems, to society. To my friends. And in 10 years, I'm looking towards finding... Yeah, actually, my vision is that polyamory doesn't... It, it becomes less stigmatic. It becomes more possible. More people subscribe to it. it it's, it's not going to be a fringe methodology, fringe way of living your life. It's going to be one of the default ones. Like, for example, child-free has become a normal lifestyle choice. It's not like it's it's still a bit people probably are looked at as a bit weird, but at the same time nobody's uh, dismissing that or gay people gay people in in western countries right right now well not in all, all of them, but mostly at least in conversation. People say that this is fine. With polyamory, if you bring it up, probably most of people would find some, would have some vision of it that's like, oh no, this is this is wrong, and those people are stupid for doing it, and they will they will grow up and learn that they were wrong. The same thing was said about gays thirty years ago, for sure, maybe even. 10 or 20 and obviously it's still sad about gays by this day in many countries on a side note I hope the same would happen with sex work and with porn uh, that people are much more open about sharing their sexuality uh, online or even offline <laughs> Obviously, it has many limitations coming to go to sex trafficking and uh, rape. So we got to be careful about that. But at the same time, I believe that sexuality should be should be more open than us. And. Yeah. There is too much stigma on sex and it really doesn't help people with their sex life. Sex is still considered as something that you only do in your bedroom and it's a shame you should be ashamed about it. So yeah, ten years from now, ten million dollars job where I'm changing the world by software uh, hopefully yeah crypto crypto is fun hopefully we can build a lot of systems that help bring crypto value value of crypto not meaning the token value <laughs> but the help people solve their daily problems the, th the problems they have right now not the problems they're gonna have like 
the real problems uh, like not only payments but also uh, yeah like having ownership of your online data having ownership of your uh, online real estate the, the properties that you that you right now you rent from companies but you can own it like in uh, 90s the internet started uh, the way that everyone owns their websites owns their domains they hosted on their own servers and only with the rise of social networks when the web one systems couldn't do this because they needed to central because to have value in social network you need to put all of the data together to be able to find insights organize it like you have to have friends posting in the same place otherwise nobody would read it but we have to roll back why it because there is more creativity unlocked when you give power back to the individual and it's obviously it would come in waves it would go this way and then this way but right now We need to roll back. Maybe it's a religious thing, but we gotta see. Maybe, maybe it's not true that we need it. But as long as many people want it, we need to at least try it and then see what, what was helpful and what was not. Obviously, the ide- ideology of price token price go up isn't really helpful it's helpful to attract attention to the industry but it's not really helpful to solve real world problems yes but some of this stuff is helpful like i remember being locked out of how uncomfortable it's being locked out of a new products that are launching like uh, you live in, in non-US, non-Europe country. Uh, you hate it when you can't access some new shiny thing that that is helping Americans already with their lives. Like examples would be the banking system, like uh, that's been really developing fast in US for the last ten years, even though it was wasn't really. Or, I don't know, being like gaming uh, the content. Like, the way we have, like, basically today, all of YouTube, you can do auto-translation. And basically all of the world's content, content is accessible to everyone. Like, I think most of people in the world speak some language as it is available as a translation on YouTube. And this is amazing. We couldn't have think of it even 50 years ago. Like, 100 years ago, they had libraries for that. There was a city library that would hold information that is valuable to citizens but at the same time how many people did live in cities and even out of people who lived in cities like yeah probably people would go to library but you still gotta pay to go to the library you still gotta 
find the book that you needed. And today, half of world's population have smartphones. But we can do the same with social networks, with value in, with businesses, with, so like content is not the most helpful thing that you can get to improve your life. Most of the things that improve your life are, well, they are physical, yes, but some of them are digital. Okay, I'm rambling here already. So anyway, I think I'm going to try to cut it out. Uh, anyway, 10 years from now, I'm 38. Uh, I have $10 million. I have a nice house somewhere in tropical country. I have a nice job that is giving value to the world at scale. I like optimizations. And yeah, I have a meaningful relationship with people, both romantic and friend friendly relationships. And it's funny that I didn't include health in that list, but yeah, hopefully I'm going to be healthy. I got to work on that. Okay, so that was uh, an attempt at first episode of a podcast. Hopefully no one watched it. <laughs> okay, hopefully some people watch it. But I wanted this as a way to kick off my channel. To have this like uh, anchor that is going to set up the themes for my next talks to people. I have many people I want to invite here. Uh, so like, yeah, the three things I care about are enlightenment. Enlightenment, polyamory, and software, crypto and AI. Yeah, and yeah, see you in the next week. Hopefully you like it. Share, like, and subscribe. Uh, uh, you can donate uh, so I can buy a new microphone if you don't like the sound. Uh, but also to buy some sound protection so they can put on more walls so the sound is not so resonant. Probably you can hear all the reflections right here. Um, and yeah, uh, tell me in comments what you want to hear about if you're interested. See you again. Peace. May all beings be happy and free.